0: welcome to the rock is george podcast i'm your host george dion thank you for tuning in be sure to hit like follow or subscribe on the platform that you're listening to us on you can also check out my work at the loudest.com on the planet knac.com for exclusive hard rock and heavy metal interviews live show coverage album reviews and more my guest for episode 177 is guitarist and vocalist will aguilar of the hard rock band will the thrill will the thrill released their third studio album independently on july 28th 2023 it features a slight shift in what they were known for on their earlier albums thanks for the support and sorry to disappoint you will and bassist mojo murphy lost their drummer and friend tony dr pepper after the release of Sorry to Disappoint You in 2014. But they managed to preserve some of his work on the latest album, Take It Sleazy. And here's Will Aguilar to tell you more about it. If I knew absolutely nothing about Will the Thrill, how would you describe your music to me?
1: Uh, We are original music in the style of 1980s arena metal.
0: I'd say that's a fair representation uh, after listening to your music. Before we get to the current album, let's kind of go back to where Will the Thrill got its start. From what I understand, it was sometime around 2008. How did it all come together?
1: Uh, well, let's see. Um, originally, I gave myself the nickname Will the Thrill just before I went on spring break my senior year of high school. Uh, <laughs> and. Um, that guy is kind of this walking party waiting to explode and uh it became my my musical identity too uh eventually because i decided i really wanted to take that party attitude and put it into my records um and also it's a safer outlet uh the character that is will the thrill he could be kind of troublesome um really good-hearted but very outgoing Uh, occasionally obnoxious, and uh, yeah, sometimes you got to keep them contained, but when it's time to be on that record and it's time to be on the stage, uh, that Will the Thrill I was when I was 18 years old to like 25 or whatever, uh, that's very much present. That's the guy who takes over. Um, It's probably kind of like how Vince Vernier has to keep Alice Cooper reeled in, you know, except maybe not quite as dangerous.
0: (laughs) You guys released an album in 2008 called "Thanks for the Support." Uh, this is yeah. some, something that you put together on your own. You 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 self release most of your material, right?
1: Uh yeah, self released all of it um, with all the mistakes that come along with that.
0: <laughs> you know that there's a baseball player called Will the Thrill as well. Will the Thrill Clark from your area?
1: Uh Will Clark. Uh he had his primary career on the uh, San Francisco Giants uh, in the uh, mid to late 1980s was when he was really swinging a hot bat. The uh, uh, My St. Louis Cardinals were able to overcome him in the 1987 playoffs, thankfully, though. Uh, anyway, there's also Will the Thrill Bynum, a really good basketball player. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not the only person. I'm not going to take sole claim to this name, but I am going to earn it.
0: I think it's one of those nicknames like, you know, anybody named Artie, they're automatically the one-man party.
1: Uh, Artie the party, especially (laughs) if you're Artie Lang.
0: (laughs) On your debut album, uh, interesting album cover art. Uh, Was that a model that you used in the picture, or is that a computer-generated model?
1: I wish I knew that person. Um, That photo got circulated on emails for a while and we tried to locate the person who uh took the photo as well as the person who designed that uh really fun double hand shaped bra uh but we we weren't really able to find them and so uh i i did my due diligence and i know that uh, these days you really do need to give credit to anybody who worked on photos and, and art and stuff like that Um, During those years, uh, again, it was one of those things that I wasn't quite able to do perfectly on the up and up.
0: You were still still learning as you go, you're a young man, you're putting these things together. It took me a little while to get the photo credit stuff going, too, so don't worry about that.
1: Well, you know, the other thing is, like, you know, bands always say thanks for the support. And when a woman needs help holding up her breasts, she needs support, too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, being the immature young man that I was, I thought that was pretty clever.
0: <laughs> your follow-up album came out in 2014 called Sorry to Disappoint You. Now, you made a point in your press materials to say that this album wasn't exactly well-received by everyone. There was a reviewer that actually rated an album called Jar of Farts ahead of your
1: album Uh, yeah jar of farts got 75 out of 100 and uh sorry to disappoint you got 73 out of 100 um gosh sometimes this feels a little bit like when rob reiner is uh interviewing spinal tap and they talk about their record shark sandwich um you know one of the things you try to do with an album is you try to get some publicity and uh get the name out there and I hired a publicist at the time who was really well ingrained with some more of the death metal circles, but didn't necessarily know the glam metal people. And so most of the people she sent this album to, they respected the effort, but it wasn't really their cup of tea. Uh, but to be fair, I got online and I listened to the Jar of Farts EP all the way through, and there were definitely plenty of farts on it. It delivered on everything it promised. So, um <laughs> I'll give them credit. That's their lane, and, and they do what they do very well, which is make completely unlistenable garbage. <laughs> but whatever.
0: It's 75.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the people over there seem to like it. That's what they were looking for. And, uh, you know, after they get done with the psychiatric care that they need, uh, I'll be here to, uh, to give them the music that they're ready for after that.
0: Sometime after the album, you uh... You lost your drummer, Tony Pepper, at age 23. If you don't mind talking about it, what happened to Tony?
1: Uh, Well, Tony had mental illness, and unfortunately, he succumbed to that. Uh, The entire story of it is a pretty shocking story that I'm going to keep as a private matter between me and the bass player who was also really good friends with him growing up uh, both of those guys in fact they were pretty much like brothers and and he's the one who found him uh so that was a pretty tough one um but basically tony was this really hilarious guy uh kind of a mischievous little gremlin um sort of a small skinny guy but really wiry and absolutely explosive on drums he brought something to that music that The previous session guys uh weren't able to to bring before and um you know sometimes i wish that when we were on stage together instead of me fronting the band i could just turn around and watch him uh, because he was really great and uh the 15 months that we were together were an absolute joy yeah what happens after something like that uh i'm not the first musician who who has lost a brother in arms like that and uh when it first When I first got the news of it, I went down into my music room and I threw a screaming, kicking on the floor tantrum about it because, I mean, you know, I think that's probably an acceptable reaction. I was by myself and that's just how it happened. And then after that, I was kind of in a fog for a while and sort of looking for a way to love music again because uh, that can really take the wind out of your sails. And um, so... Uh, a little bit farther into the story what happened was i went to this independent video game design convention um to see if maybe hey i could do some uh music for people's video games and maybe find another way to to kind of do music for a while and um that didn't really pan out but what happened was this guy told me about this video game called Hotline Miami that had this very 80s uh, kind of soundtrack and so i listened to all the artists on that soundtrack and i discovered this whole underground 1980s synth pop scene going on in france and what i got from that was there were a whole bunch of people over there who decided to make music that made them happy and they didn't give a crap if anybody liked it or not that's just the attitude they took towards it and when i saw people doing that and and, and all that i just felt like you know what i'm gonna do this music exactly the way that i like it i'm really excited that this fun stuff is is still coming out. And it just kind of renewed my vigor. And so I made a determination to take that record that me, Tony, and uh, Joe, my bassist at the time, had started working on. I made an effort to finish that thing because, uh, you know, that's something that we did together. That's a chronicle of our lives and the time that we had. And, uh, yeah, so Take It Sleazy is, is that time capsule. And uh, now that I've had some years – between the the actual event and right now uh i'm able to remember it very fondly we had a lot of great laughs and i absolutely loved that time in my career
0: and take it sleazy came out on july 28th of 2023 uh you brought in a session drummer to do the work on the album but you were able to yeah. supply him with demos from dr pepper and uh yeah he's still represented on this album
1: uh yeah and also um on the very first song i just want your love tonight there's this drum interlude just before the main solo kicks in that i was actually able to uh take tony pepper's drums from the demo that we laid and uh put it in with the rest of the tracks and my producer joel wanasek was able to to weave that in so that you wouldn't even notice the difference between uh the session drummer's thing and uh and tony pepper's interlude that comes in in between it and so in that way uh i am able to have tony on that album just a little bit and it was really cool i didn't even have to edit the parts that he was doing i just lined it up to the grid and and he happened to uh be in a good uh frame of playing that day and he nailed something so yeah he's he's on there just a little bit
0: Let's talk about some of the songs. Uh, One that I really liked was Always Be Number Two. Uh, Made me snicker a little bit once I got to the chorus, but uh, was there there an event in your life that actually inspired that song? Yeah. Uh,
1: When I was um, a little bit shy at 23 years old, I was dating this young lady and uh, I was also um, student teaching because in my undergraduate work, I became a band teacher. And so uh, I was student teaching and then I was, um, you know, practicing guitar a couple hours a day, uh, eating something real quick and then going to uh, a job for a few hours every night. And so I was busy from 730 in the morning until about nine o'clock at night. And uh, my goals were at that time to save my money and go to Musicians Institute in Los Angeles to study guitar. So that's what I wanted to do. And. You know, I tried to give this girl a chance and everything, but um, I was really busy. I was pretty stressed out. Couldn't really be the person that she needed me to be at the time. And so uh, I had to do her a favor and get out of her life. (laughs) And uh, afterwards, uh, she came up to me and she said that she resented me for dumping her for my guitar. And I was like, well... The guitar looks better it sounds better and it doesn't give me any lip and frankly it's something i understand a lot better than ladies (laughs) so um yeah that's where the line came from but you know where the song also develops is that uh you know when you first get a girlfriend she's like oh i love you baby i support you i believe in you and then after a while she's like you know you spend too much time at band practice (laughs) yeah, it's, it's like the very best I can do for any relationship that I'm in is I can make them second most important, uh, outside of music. And, uh, as the lyrics say, um, it's, you know, it's, it's not too bad. That's actually pretty darn good. If I love somebody almost as much as I love rock and roll, then I love them a lot. So like, be happy with that. This is just how musicians are. And, um, and I'm being very honest about it. If, uh, if you're not okay with that, you're just going to have to find somebody else.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Let's talk about your other single, The More I Lose, yeah. The More I Win. Uh, what was your lyrical inspiration there?
1: Sometimes it's nice to just kind of let a girl take control and uh, maybe even slap you around a little bit and show you who's boss. I mean, not to the point of uh, making you crawl on all f- floors in with a lesion of ball gag or totally emasculated you like none of that like you know but playful uh and and that's cool but i i think that the the idea of it is there are some people out there who uh they they just want somebody to kind of control them and order them around a little bit and maybe they've got this self-deprecation streak going on with where like the more somebody robs them of their self-esteem and, and kind of like abuses them, the more they get off on it. Uh, so yeah, maybe the kind of person who's, who's in a song like that is, is, is a little bit sick, but you know, if, if you can find that, you know, gentle Dom who will be nice to you, uh, and, and just, keep in mind that this is all just play and, and not to try and destroy your life or anything like that, then yeah, you know, uh, it, I think that could be a really healthy thing. I think it can make it pretty interesting.
0: Another song in the album that caught my ear was I don't like your shitty band. Uh, which, kind <laughs> of which kind of band are you talking about here?
1: Uh, I wrote that one in 2008 and it eventually developed a little bit more, but at the time, there were these styles of music that were getting pretty popular with some of the teenage kids at the time, like, uh, you know, Screamo, Pig Squeal, Brutal Death And what I noticed in that was the people who were making this music, uh, they grew up where both of their parents are still married. They got all the love and support they need. They live in a nicer house than I've ever lived in in my life. And yet they're still making these records that are 100% screaming angry all the time. And I felt like, you know what? These guys aren't really angry. This is fake manufactured rage. It's boring. These parents are giving them super expensive gear. And they're getting to this place without having really earned it. So maybe I'm kind of acting like a grandpa as far as that goes. But like, I just don't buy into it. I I think it's, it's just bullshit. It, it's not real. And uh, if you're really 100% angry all the time and you're making this record that's like that 100% of the time, it's disingenuous. Nobody feels like that all the time. And if you do, uh, that's just not a way to go through life. And if you listen to a record like that all the way through, it is going to negatively affect your disposition. So the first set of verses, the first verse about that, um, you know, snot nosed teenager trying to act all pissed, whatever, I, I just don't buy it. Um, and somehow they think they're unique, as if other generations of kids haven't come up and experienced angst. So then, um, the next verse on that is actually about Amy Winehouse. Uh, I thought that, you know, her singing songs about like people trying to make her go to rehab and she says no is like glorifying drug use and stuff like that. And and then she passed away at 27 years old. And it's like she had an opportunity. That a lot of people would kill for. Uh, and she had a lot of people. Who thought she was good. I don't consider myself one of them. But she did have a lot of fans. And uh, she squandered it. She pissed it all away. Um, and that's a really frustrating thing. It's like. You know if you really don't want to live. Just don't make it public. Just go be by yourself. And don't let people watch you fall apart. Like that. So uh And I I guess another attitude about it is that, you know, I've had some shows where, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to take whatever show you can get. And occasionally you get booked with some other bands that maybe they're not really your style. They're not your cup of tea. And I kind of get embarrassed about trying to invite my family and friends to come see me play. And then they've got to sit in this really smoky, gross bar in a dangerous part of town and listen to three or four really awful bands that they they just don't like i got to make them sit through this stuff just so that they can see me play and i feel embarrassed about that so um yeah i mean not to be pretentious or anything like that but uh in older times if you wanted to play at a club you needed to be a really good band you couldn't just pay the club for the right to play there and even if you do pay that club to go in and play you're going to drive away all their customers and eventually they're going to go broke anyway so like it's much better if you hone your craft, really work on some good songwriting, have something that's unique and memorable, and earn your right to be in that club. Take that Thursday night slot, and eventually, if things are popping off really good for you, they'll give you Friday night and Saturday night. Um, At least as the opener for whatever cover band is taking over for the rest of the night after that. So yeah, I don't like your shitty band. Please don't make me watch it. <laughs>
0: Take It Sleazy was co-produced by Joel Wenisek. He's produced albums for Dope and Machine Head and Bless the Fall. He worked on all three of your albums. What is it about about, Joel that you keep going back? Um, Well, I was living in Milwaukee
1: in the fall of 2005, and uh, back in the MySpace days, he had this uh, computer program that was just a bot that would go to different Myspace pages around town and add their bands. Uh, so that's how he found me through a program and I looked at his studio page and I saw that he was using the same software that I was doing. he was playing uh, you know modern heavy metal and so I hit him up and I I went to his house and at that time he had just quit his day job as a bank teller and he was uh, recording bands out of his dad's basement. And he played me some examples of his work. Um, he was comparing himself to people like Andy Wallace, who produced Chevelle, and Andy Sneap, who was more along the lines of like Nevermore and Arch Enemy. But what I really saw on that was he was paying a lot of attention to detail and uh, doing some real painstaking work. And then he, you know, compared his work to what some of the other studios around Milwaukee were, you know, getting away with. And his work was a lot cleaner. So. Uh, what we were able to do was take my, you know, eighties classic metal kind of a sound and put it in with his modern production techniques, uh, and meld those things together so that you could have that vintage sound quality you like, but also have it be radio ready. And um, so, yeah, that's, we, we both started out just in his dad's basement. And since then he owns at least three companies and uh, has, you know, built himself up to be uh, an internationally known producer. Uh, So I'm really proud of him. And I'm also very thankful that he remembers the times where I helped put food on his table and and will still take my work. But he's not cheap. (laughs) And I'm not going to haggle with him. I will never haggle with somebody because it's like telling them they're not worth as much as they know they are. And Joel is worth a lot. And uh, either I can afford him or I can't. That's just how it goes.
0: For Take It Sleazy, you got this retro cover art that kind of reminds me of the old Sega Outrun video game. Uh, your Your artist is Jacob Stoltz. I believe you've worked with him before. How did you guys end up hooking up?
1: Um, well, Ed Sutton was the guy who played drums on Thanks for the Support all the way back in those 2006-2007 sessions. And I used to buy beer for him when he was a freshman in college and I was a fifth-year senior. Uh, we became uh, very close friends. And uh, he's originally from Minneapolis. And so uh, he went to high school with Jacob Stoltz. And uh, I, I got introduced to him uh, through Ed in the fall of uh 2006 i think sometime around that and ed and uh or i'm sorry jacob and his wife ellie have been very dear friends to me ever since we've gone to some concerts together when i w- whenever i would drive from milwaukee over to, to minneapolis and yeah i've seen his artwork he's been a really good artist for a very long time and so uh when it came time to do uh sorry to disappoint you i had him do the artwork for me and i was really influenced by the freak brothers this uh counterculture hippie comic by gilbert shelton down in uh, austin texas from like the 70s and early 80s uh yeah i my dad had freak brothers comics when i was a little kid and i started getting a hold of those when i was about nine years old which is really inappropriate like no kid should be exposed to stuff like that but um I I really loved the art style and it was, it was hilarious. So I had Jacob do the album artwork for that. And then when he came to take it sleazy, I was really influenced by this guy named Ariel Zucker Bruhl. His artist name is Ariel ZB. And he uh, is the go-to guy when you're making record covers for a lot of synthwave artists. Like his, his stuff is really beautiful to look at. And so I showed him some samples. I showed Jacob some samples of that as well as, the kind of layout that I wanted, you know, like the saga worlds apart from 1981, that album is, you know, uh, a pair of sunglasses on the front. And um, I think the, uh, the poster art for the movie, almost famous uh, Kate Hudson's got some sunglasses on. It's got a reflection in that. I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to have this gatefold album cover that opens up to be a full pair of sunglasses and uh, but it's got the act, the actual picture for the album uh, in the lens of the sunglasses. So yeah, we we spent some time coming up with that. And and the other thing is there's a little Easter egg in there because uh, I am from El Paso, Texas, and I wanted to throw a shout out to my hometown in there. And so there's a little Easter egg on that album cover that I'm not even going to reveal. People are just going to have to figure it out. But if you see it you're you're only going to understand it if you're from el paso
0: tony canada does he appear in your live band
1: oh barbada Barbada, Um, that's it uh he was a session musician who was recommended to me when i called some of the studios here in town and uh, he does not appear in the live bands um it was a little bit of a stretch to get him to embrace 80s metal because he's actually a jazz drummer but uh I didn't have to worry about him, you know, having technique or anything like that, because jazz drummers can usually play pretty darn good. And I was just asking him to count to four on this one. So no crazy swinging or anything like that. Uh, He came in to do the session for me. And uh, uh, one of his friends, Chris Turnbaugh, is an engineer at Sawhorse Studios, as well as a really fantastic local bass player in town. And so uh, he ran the drum session for me, and Tony did the plane, and uh, we we did it over a couple of days. But as far as my live bands, um, I've got this guy named Death Doug, and he's uh, a really killer drummer with a lot of experience. And then uh, my new bass player is Brian Banger, <laughs> and, and I, I christened him that. Uh, so Doug was in a band in Fort Lauderdale, Florida called Premonition for about 10 years, uh, until about 2011. And he made five records with them, went on some tours. And, uh, he was even one of the guys who helped get the boys from Trivium, uh, into the clubs because they were only 15 years old at the time. And and they had to kind of be the watchdogs for him uh, to get him into the club. So, uh, that's part of his journey. He's actually helped some, some other musicians who have gone on to some pretty big things. And so, uh, yeah, Doug's with me now, uh, and then, um, Brian, the bass player, uh, he's originally from Pittsburgh and he moved here to, uh, work as an ER doctor. And so, uh, sometimes he's busy saving people's lives, but most of the time he is available to rehearse and gig. And awesome. he's, yeah, he's also a really nice guy and a killer bass player. He's getting better all the time.
0: Does, will the thrill mainly play local club gigs there in St. Louis? Yeah, at this moment, uh, I got this
1: lineup together in April. And it's kind of funny because when I started putting out flyers to look for new band members, these are the first two guys I met and we all clicked immediately. And uh, that doesn't happen. But with these guys, it did. And and that's fantastic. We're all on the same page about what we want to do with this. And so we've had a couple of local gigs to launch the album out and uh, you know, shoot some videos and things like that and uh we're playing around town at a lot of the open mic nights right now um just kind of building up a name for ourselves again and um you know here in st louis uh and maybe in a lot of places most of the club owners want to hire classic rock cover bands because they feel it's a safe thing to do and they feel like they're going to have people who are always coming in to to see that but what I've noticed is that there aren't a lot of younger people at these clubs right now. And I think one of the reasons for that is that the club owners are too afraid to try new things. And, um, you know, we're not asking to have anything handed to us. You know, we want to take that crappy night in the middle of the week and then eventually earn our way into that spot in the weekend spot. um, Like I've talked about before. So uh, whenever we play these open jams, uh the people pop off like almost like it's Hulk Hogan walking into the middle of WrestleMania 3 to to fight Andre the Giant like we we get a really good reaction from this stuff and so we're handing out CDs to the club owners and making a name for ourselves and yeah we're we're going to be doing that but also uh after we work on some more publicity and stuff like that develop a little bit more numbers and a following we do want to go wherever they'll have us like um you know, I'll I'll play by a row of four John's at Six Flags if I have to. I don't care. Uh, I'll be the soundtrack to somebody taking a piss, whatever. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we we want to go everywhere uh, and, you know, just kind of let it get as big as it can naturally get. We're not going to stop ourselves.
0: You may have to play some cover tunes uh, in between your originals to get there
1: might have to uh i've been pretty against it so far i've been in cover bands before and it's okay and everything but uh i loved these songs i grew up on these songs my average album is from 1987 i listened to judas priest every day for two years solid when i first found them and guns and roses every day for six months before that so like i know this music i do love this music but i've already heard it a million times and um if i'm going to do any covers at all uh you know, I, I might bust out some docking or some some rat that like maybe a little bit more of the deep album cuts as opposed to, you know, like round and round or something like that. Because <laughs> uh, these are guys I cut my teeth on. Like um, I'm very much influenced by George Lynch in his rhythm guitar playing. Uh, I got to have a couple of guitar lessons with him back in the day. Uh, and that was really, really awesome. He just blew my mind sitting there probably the best thing about it was i realized he's just a human being like everybody else like he had just had his fourth grandkid um he still had to go get his own coffee you know it, it wasn't always just playing in front of ten thousand screaming maniacs uh, like you see on mtv these these guys can be pretty down to earth so um yeah and then you know guys like robin crosby from rat uh you know six foot six shock of blonde hair had that little rose inside his guitar He had all the moves. He wrote great songs. Uh, Steve Clark from Def Leppard. Same kind of guy. Like uh, If I tried to sling my guitar that low, I would have serious back problems, but it worked for him. He was an absolute rock star, and his moments during that Hysteria tour are are for the ages. Uh, The rock of ages, even. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, I mean, if I could channel some of those guys when I played a couple of covers, it wouldn't be such a bad thing, but uh, you know, I'm writing a lot of music and I, I feel like it can stand up on its own pretty good. Ah,
0: uh, thought you would have named Steve Vai as an influence. I noticed you have the Vai Gem Guitar by Ibanez and it's even autographed.
1: I got him to sign it. Yeah. Um, this friend of mine at Musicians Institute, uh, right after Steve Vai played a show there, uh, he got a backstage pass from Pink's guitar player because we knew him a little bit. And he got my guitar backstage and got Steve to sign it. And then um, afterwards, I waited for Steve to get done doing a, an interview with Carbon Amplifiers and I got my picture with him real quick. But he is so much in demand that, like, he was already gone before I could even turn to thank him. <laughs> but still a really wonderful moment. Uh, yeah, the Ibanez Gem is a super playable guitar. There's still a, ro- a, a lot of room for me to grow as a musician into that kind of a guitar. And, uh, it's one of those things. It was an investment that I made in myself when I was getting ready to go out to LA and I will never sell it because I I know it's a guitar that I'll just never be able to get another one like that again.
0: Now you mentioned you're always writing music. Uh, Take it sleazy came out back in uh, the summer. Uh, How far are you on the next album?
1: Uh, I have worked on a couple of demos. Um, I think they're starting to take this theme of, uh, being really attracted to some young ladies who already have boyfriends. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want to be that guy, man. Like, I I respect love. If you've got love, I don't want to mess with that. Because if I try to steal it, it's just not going to be real. Not the way that those two had it. So, I mean, I can talk about it and I can fantasize about it. But if I ever acted on it, that would be selfish as hell. And I don't want to really do that. I don't want to be that guy. But, like, Will the Thrill might have (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> back when he was 23 and and in fact uh i learned uh some pretty tough lessons back then uh about getting in between uh a, a couple like and nothing good comes from it and you usually end up looking like a real asshole and uh losing out so yeah <laughs> it'll it'll stay in the song but i'm not going to do things like that
0: Well, Will, those are all the questions I have for you today. Your latest album is Take It Sleazy. It's available now through your Bandcamp page. And I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today to talk more about it.
1: Thanks a lot, man. Well, you take care and have a good one, all right?
0: Once again, I want to thank Will Aguilar of Will the Thrill for coming on the Rock is George podcast. Be sure to check out their latest album, Take It Sleazy, out now head over to your favorite music streaming platform. Take a listen to the album. If you like what you hear, head over to Will's Bandcamp page and buy a copy of the album. For all things Will the Thrill, head over to their official Facebook page slash Will the Thrill 80s I also want to thank Dave Tedder of Head First Entertainment for making this interview possible. You've been great. I've been George Dion. Discover your next favorite artist, on the Rock is George podcast.